Well, Emily's husband, John, had this sharp pain in the back of his neck. He goes to the doctor, and they discover a tumor. It was diagnosed as benign, which was good news. However, over just a short number of weeks, it was discovered that this deadly, destructive lump was misdiagnosed. And it spread to his spinal cord, and John died at the age of 45. But here's what I know. The wrong diagnosis leads to the wrong remedy that leads to no cure. The wrong diagnosis leads to the wrong remedy, the wrong treatment that leads to no cure. So i got a question for you. As you look at the world and you try to diagnose, why is there so much crazy going on? How do you answer that question? How is it that there is so much war, so much division, so much disease, so much anger? Now, if that's too big of a question, let's just bring it down to our own lives. Why is it that you cannot change your life the way you really would like to change it? Why is it that you struggle with that stuff, that own internal desire? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is answering today. That's what he's going after, is the right diagnosis of what's going on in the world. If you have your Bible, would you join with me into Romans? Romans chapter 1. Now this morning, we are going to be doing some texting, so you'll see uh, phone numbers on the slides this number can be texted, so you want to take out your phone now because as we go through the message, if something comes up and you're like, boy, what, tell me a little bit more about that, or I wonder about this, the number will be on the slide. Well, as we look at this this morning, we're going to start in verse 18 and uh, move through to verse 23. If you'll just follow along in your own scriptures or on your own device, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Father, thank You that You didn't leave it to our own wisdom. 
our own ingenuity, our own abilities to diagnose what is going on in the world today, what's going on in our own hearts. But you make some clear, clean, direct statements. God, let us see them, let us hear them, let us embrace them, that we might live in reality of truth and not in some delusion of our own making. It's frightening, God. I just confess. I just confess, God, it is scary how so easily we think our perceptions and our views are correct. So God, I ask that your Spirit would move us to a place of humility, a posture that says, God, you're right, and I stand condemned. God, you speak truth, and the world is full of lies. Help us to see the truth, the reality of the world in which we live. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, of course, we're going to look at uh, this section of Scripture. We're going to actually look at two sections. I just read the first section. If you will, we want to look at two acts of one play. And the first act, the first thing I want to look at is that the wrath of God stands against all rebellion. The wrath of God. Now that alone would trip people up, right? Talking about the wrath of God. Well, let me say it stands against all rebellion. Now when I say rebellion, it's a little bit of what we read here in the passage. Ungodliness and unrighteousness, right? And so what we see in this passage, this first part, and a good way to read it, is that there's a series of questions that are being answered. A little bit like the game Jeopardy. You ever watch the game Jeopardy? And they make some statement and you got to figure out the question, right? It's a lot of fun and it's engaging. Well, that's a little bit of what Paul is doing here. And so as we look at this this morning, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to write in the Bible the questions that I bring out. Why? Because when you read your Bible, you're going to see more clearly how this dialogue, which was a very common practice in the first century to help people read, and it gets answered. So, here's the first question. Why is God's righteousness needed? Now, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty, so we'll get things organized in a moment, but we'll see it. Here it comes. Uh, First point, the wrath of God stands against all rebellion. And the first question, the wrath of God Why is God's righteousness needed? So as we look at that, it's going to be answered in verse 18. Now some of you may be reading a translation that doesn't have the word for at the beginning. That's a very unfortunate translation if it's not there. Because what Paul is doing is he's making statements and then he's linking them up with the word for. In fact, he uses the word for in verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21. And that's where we get our questions because each time he's trying to bring us deeper into this dialogue. So why is God's righteousness needed? Now remember, that comes from verse 
verse 16 and 17 because Paul makes this bold statement that we need the righteousness of God. Now, I need to pause for a moment and make sure that we all understand what the righteousness of God is. There's a lot of discussion in literature today, maybe if you're just reading Bible devotionals and things like this, the righteousness of God, I mentioned there's three ways to look at it. One is the attributes of God, that God is a righteous God. And we all should shout amen, right? God is a God of truth. But the question is, is that the way we should understand it here in Romans chapter 1? Is he merely talking about the attributes of God? And I said last week, no, that's not sufficient answer. Even though it's partially wrapped into the answer, God is a righteous God. That's not ultimately what he's talking about. The second response that people have given is that it's the activity of God, that it's somehow the work of God, and we see this all the time, is that the righteousness of God is something that God does in a time and space in history to move against the sin of people. And that's absolutely true. We see over and over that God brings his righteous judgment against his people, right? You read the Old Testament. Somebody does something that's out of character, out of the law. They're sidestepping the law and God's righteous judgment comes. But again, that's not exactly what's being talked about here. What ultimately is being brought to bear is the achievement of God. What God did for you and me through Jesus Christ. And of course, I argue this because the word gospel is used. Paul says in verse 16, and we're all memorizing it, right? So you should all have it. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? So he's talking about the gospel. And then he goes on and talks about that the righteousness of God is being revealed. That is the achievement of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, so we're not confused. This is so important. What God does when you trust Jesus Christ, when you trust Jesus Christ, that moment... You say, I am a sinner and I need Jesus' death on the cross to pay for all of my rebellion. That moment, a great exchange takes place. Your filthy rags, or as I talked about last week, your stinky diaper is exchanged for the very righteousness of God. That is the most profound truth in the history of the world that that could happen what that means for you and me today right now is if you put your trust in Christ I'm not saying and let me be really clear that you simply prayed a prayer back in second grade we're talking about someone who genuinely authentically says I have sinned against a holy God I need a savior That woman, that man, that student who has put his or her trust in Jesus Christ, God looks at you right now. He looks at you and he does not see a stinky diaper. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
the beauty, the majesty, the magnificence of Jesus Christ. That's how he looks at you. So there's this great exchange. So now the question is, why is God's righteousness needed? And he says in verse 18, let me tell you why. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all rebellion. That's where he's taking us. God establishes righteousness and this wrath. Now, when we use the word wrath, got to pause. Because we too easily and too often import human emotions and we live in a culture don't we we don't want to talk about the wrath of god we like the love of god but can i tell you a truth about the bible the wrath of god is mentioned way more than the love of god it's a very serious concept very serious doctrine So don't confuse it, though, with human emotion. Now, you know what I mean by that. Human emotion is often irrational. It's uncontrollable. It's filled with vanity. It's filled with malice and revenge, right? So we have moms and dads that rage. Well, God isn't like that. God is not like that. God's wrath is directed at rebellion it's very very focused it's it's a settled part of god he's not uncontrollable it's a perfectly righteous move of god it's that god is antagonized by sin our sin my sin your sin and so the wrath of god is being revealed It's being revealed. Now, when it says this in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed, you might want to slip the word being revealed in there. Why? Because it's it's the idea that it's constantly being revealed. And you say, wait a minute, how's it being revealed? Let me give you a couple ways that the wrath of God is being revealed. What we think is going to happen is that when we hear the word wrath of God or the fury of God that we'd expect some kind of explosion we'd expect to see lightning just flashing constantly but what if God chooses to show his wrath in a more subtle way and that's exactly what the passage is showing us today but let me give you the first one and that is god reveals it or it is being revealed it's constantly being revealed by moral degeneration over and over we're going to see in this passage in a little bit god gave them up god gave them up verse 24 god gave them up verse 26 god gave them up verse 28 god gave them up what he's saying is okay you want to keep going in your direction go for it Have it your way. That's the wrath of God. Now, I'm not denying, nor am I trying to push away that at some point the wrath of God is coming and it will be explosive. He will come and separate the sheep and the goats. He will divide the wheat and the tares. He will come as king and judge. And nobody's going to miss any of it. But right now, there's this moral degeneration There's this excessive self 
indulgence. There's this relentless pursuit of self. We're self-centered. We're selfish. If you could just put a crown on every head and on the crown just write the word self. (laughs) That's the moral degeneration that we see especially now in the 21st century. But there's another way God's wrath has been revealed, and that is just death. We're going to get to it in Romans chapter 5 when we go further into the book in the spring. But right now, let me just say that death is an expression of God's antagonism towards sin. We'll see that in Romans chapter 5. You might just want to jot down verse 12. And then finally, futility and suffering. God has subjected this world to futility and suffering, and that is His wrath being revealed. People are struggling with purpose. So, we go on. Not only is God's wrath being revealed, let's hit the second question. How do we know they are suppressing the truth? Because that's how verse 18 ends. They suppress the truth. Well, how do we know? Verse 19 Verse 19 says, what can be known about God is plain to them. <clears throat> so what God is saying is that the world is suppressing, holding down, pushing away the very truth of God. And how do we know? Because it's plain to them. He goes on, because God has shown it. Here's the third question. How can it be so plain to them? Well, that gets answered in verse 20. For His invisible attributes, namely the eternal power and divine nature of God is being revealed. You say, how is that the way? How is it that God's divine power is being revealed? Creation. Just look at the universe that God created. He spoke and it flings into existence. We are in one galaxy of hundreds of millions of galaxies. Please. Uh, So there's this galaxy, right? The Milky Way galaxy and we study it and we look at it. Thank you, Phil. And we look at all that God is doing and and you try to explain it apart from God. And you can't. But what does the world do? They suppress it. They push it down. You look at the majesty of creation. Look at what we're going through right now, the fall. And the leaves are starting to change. And you see the cycle of seasons and you say, wow, this is amazing. But the world suppresses it and pushes it down. That's on a macro level. If you go on to a larger level, or a smaller level, let's just look at the human brain. The marvel of what God created in the brain. Or take one cell, one single human cell, and all the information that is in it, and all that one cell does. Now with science today, and we can study it, People look at it and they suppress it. For the believer, we should say, that 
is a fingerprint of God. See, that's what he's talking about here. It's plain to them, but we suppress it. Or if we could take one more thing. Love. Where does love come from? This is God's divine attribute that just comes into the image of God. And how do you explain it? The Bible says because we're made in His image, so it's all creation. It says in verse 20, right? They have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. And you know, and I say it and I'll say it again, we live in a culture that has put science on the throne. (laughs) I'm grateful for science. I think the best minds of our women and men should study science and go into it and speak it loudly. But they can never be on the throne. we got to knock them off the throne and put God on the rightful throne place in the throne on the throne we have such a political bias against the truth of what's being said here that believers can hardly speak in the academy today and if they do they get ostracized and they get pushed away and you can see this over and over not just in the united states but around the world they are suppressing the truth of the word of god let me say it a little differently they are suppressing the diagnosis so just like john who had that sharp pain in his neck and it gets diagnosed as benign, but all along, all along, it's malignant. The doctor treats it as benign. You get the wrong diagnosis, you get the wrong treatment. And if you get the wrong treatment, you're going to get the wrong cure. Well, let's hit the fourth question. comes in verse 21 to 23. Why God's wrath? Why? Well, look what he says. For although they knew God, they would not honor God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's the moral degeneration that I'm talking about. When I use this phrase, moral degeneration, what I mean by that? It's just simply their love continues to grow cold. It continues to grow in a direction that redefines love so that it becomes even more self-centered. Love biblically is something that's very outward, very much serving and caring for others outside of themselves, right? For God so loved the world, it says in John 3.16. He, what? Gave. See how outward focused it is. So what Paul is doing here is he's constantly answering the questions. Look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise. We are so arrogant in this world. We so elevate ourselves. We so think we know. Look what it says. They became fools. 
This is strongly seen today in what we've done with biological sex and gender. I know these issues are complex. And I know they're very, very serious. Gender dysphoria is a complicated mess. But the remedy, the treatment, will never be accurate until we understand that God created us male and female. That there is a biological difference. God set this into everything that He created with men and women. And that gender flows out of this. But we have become fools. We'll never get the cure if we don't understand the diagnosis and we don't understand the way the world is trying to treat this is only going to hurt people more and more and more. They exchanged, verse 23, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal people, birds and animals and creeping things. Well, why is the Gospel so beautiful? Why? It's because the wrath of God stands against all the rebellion hostile to Him. And the only one power that can overcome it is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why at Fox Valley Church, my heart bleeds and beats for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It stands against everything the world proclaims. It's the truth of God revealed. It was promised in the Old Testament. You just start reading Genesis and you just start coming through all the way to the New Testament. The rebellion that we read about in Genesis chapter 3, God said, I'm going to take care of this. The hostility against God is all fixed in the person of Jesus Christ. So God's diagnosis is that we are rebellious by nature and by choice. The only remedy is Jesus Christ. And He will give us the cure of righteousness. See how that flows. Well, let's dive a little deeper into Acts 2, what I'm calling Act 2, not Acts 2, the book. And that is verses 24 and following. Let me just read very quickly here. Therefore, therefore, right because of all of this foolishness, crazy, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who blessed who is blessed forever amen for this reason god gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with 
compassion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. To a debased mind to do what ought not to be done they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice they are full of envy murder strife deceit maliciousness they are gossips slanderers haters of god insolent haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The world has exchanged God for cheap trinkets. It's my second point. The world, people all across our globe have exchanged God for cheap trinkets. And so we see God gave them up. God gave them up. It's a picture of His wrath. Let me hit a couple things very quickly. First one is this. Not sure why I can't pull the slide up right now. There we go. Therefore, God gave them up, right? There's this phrase. God gave them up. He gave them over. You want it your way? Go ahead. And he says, he gave it over to the lust of their hearts. The appetite. Sometimes I call it the affections. That God just said, you, you, you're going to set your affections on the things of this world? Go and have it. Enjoy it. But it'll destroy your soul. He goes on and they, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth of God for lies. Lies, lies, lies. This is why we need to be in church on Sunday. We need to hear the Word of God. We need to be encouraged. A classic picture of this is people, Christians, think that they can live the Christian life by themselves a do-it-yourself religion that's not god's plan jesus didn't say hey i'm just going to build this church of people and you just go do whatever you want to do he said he wanted his people to gather to be encouraged to be built up because the world has beaten you down we need to be together it's hard it's hard-fought territory they worshiped and served the creature, right, rather than the Creator. Paul just nets it out so simply here. Then he goes on, he says, for this reason God gave them up, here's our second phrase, to dishonorable passions. What I want to say is that God gave them up to idols. Just idols. That's the first thing that we need to see here, is that God gave them up to idols. Men likewise gave up natural relations with women. So we start getting into sexual perversion, right? sexual perversion men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another 
We could throw the word homosexuality in here. I don't want to just go there. Certainly that's what Paul's talking about. But what I want to do is just say there's sexual perversion. Anything that's outside of what God created for sex, outside of marriage, starts perverting it and distorting it and destroying what God intended to be beautiful. And now we see it spread all across the country. So let me just maybe bring a few things together. God gave them up to idols. God gave them up to sexual perversion, verse 26. And then in verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. That's what he says over and over. When he says God gave them up, all he's saying is, go ahead, have it your way. I've made it plain to you, but you're resisting it. So let me just close with this before we go to some texting. The right diagnosis leads to the right remedy that leads to the perfect cure. This is God's diagnosis of the world. So we're either going to turn to what God says or we're going to turn to our own devices. So I don't know, there's a lot in this passage. I'm going to invite Pastor Brad to come on out and uh, maybe some texts have come in. I don't know, we flew through a passage here and I know it's dense and complicated, but uh, if you're online, uh, we'd love for you to participate with this as well. So uh, please uh, send in your text. And uh, thanks for coming up. Yeah. Totally. So we got a couple questions that had the same theme, so I want to start with those. Okay. Okay. One of them said, so I'll actually read both of them and then you can respond. If they had been given up, is there no hope for individuals who participate in these ungodly actions? Are they all cursed with no hope? How do we know who has been given up and who still has a shot? And then a question very similar to that was, as Christians, should we be worried about God giving us up, or is that just for unbelievers? Hmm. Wow, two great questions. Let's go after the first one. Uh, that's the hope of the gospel, right? Is that, yes, God has given them over to their own devices, their own ways, but what the gospel does is it breaks into their world, and it allows them to escape this mm. depraved mind, the perversion, and the self-centeredness. And that's why we're so bullish on the gospel at Fox Valley Church. That's why what we just heard a few mm. moments ago, right, is that we talk about Operation Christmas Child, or the boxes, right, is because the gospel's there. There's hope. And God is giving us an opportunity to bring the remedy to the severe diagnosis hmm. of rebellion against God and that the cure is Jesus Christ, the perfect hmm. cure. So we have to be bold. And that's why our mission is so clearly stated, telling and showing the story of Jesus. Hmm. Now let me be very clear. Just showing. Some people say it's not my gift to tell people the gospel. It's not about giftedness. You can be kind to a lot of people. That's good. Be kind. You can be generous with a lot of people. Be generous. But until you tell them the story of Jesus, they could be lost in their rebellion forever. So yes, there's hope for every one of us. Absolutely. 
And it's not us, it's God. It's God breaking mm. in through the person mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. But he's given us this. And that's what we talked about last week, right? Because we've been entrusted with it, we are now debtors. Mm. So let's fulfill it. Remember I told you a story about my neighbor, his box was at my house. I couldn't wait to get rid of the box. He sends me a text. He says, hey, I'm home. And I said, hey, let's get rid of this box. I got to get it Mm. back. Well, that's the picture. We got to get to the gospel. Now, the second part of the question, uh, do we have hope or can we lose this? This is a very important part of being born again. When God changes us from the inside out, we're forever changed. It's why the Bible talks about being sealed in the Holy Spirit, is that we are protected. Yes, some Christians do drift. They fall into the ditches. That's why we should constantly be calling people back home. Hmm. That's why we constantly think about something like Revelation chapter 3, right? Jesus says, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's John speaking to the church. And he's not talking just to unbelievers, or he's not talking just to believers. He's saying, behold, Jesus stands at the door and knock. If anyone, man or woman, opens that door, I will come in and dine with him. So if it's a non-believer, open the door of your heart. If you're a believer and you've drifted, Jesus says, open the door and I will come in. And then we're secure in that, eternally secure. John chapter 10, Jesus said this, no one, no one mm-hmm. or nothing can snatch you out of the mm-hmm. Father's hand. What a beautiful promise. What a great hope. And over and over we see this. This is why I talk about John 10. It's why I talk about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's why I talk about being born again. Is that when we're regenerated, you can't be unregenerated. Mm -hmm. God is changing us and transforming us Mm. from the inside. Is it fair to say, Tom, that but some of our maybe sinful decisions that we make are going to play out? You know, I think about the Old Testament, the Israelites, God kind of gave them up. Essentially, yeah, you can pay the consequences of these things that you're asking me for that are not good, mm. right? And I think sometimes as Christians, we make decisions. We're not going to be snatched out of the Father's hand, but is it fair to say some of these choices that we make, we're going to have to just pay some of the earthly consequences Absolutely. for them, right? So we don't have to worry about being unregenerated. That's right. But if we choose to do some of these sinful things, there will be a cost. And, and it does play out, and we all see this, right? I, if I make a bad decision to cheat on my wife, and it starts undermining my family, right, my kids, that's going to have consequences. It's going to have repercussions, and maybe for decades. And sometimes you can't undo it. People get themselves into sexual sin, and what happens? They get disease. Sometimes you can't undo that disease. You carry that all of your life. And so, yeah, it's yeah. a great point. It's okay, uh, in verse 20, is, is verse 20 really saying that if people don't hear the gospel, they will face eternal judgment? Because they should pursue God just by looking at the world, nature, life, etc. It's kind of pressing into, will everyone get a chance to hear the gospel? And our sense of right fairness, well, that's not fair if they're in some third world country and they don't, never have the Bible. I think that's what's kind of being pressing. Should that person that we're hypothetically kind of stating is in this third world country, has no access to the Bible, should they just look at the stars and be like, I give my life to God, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, amen, amen. Uh, I, I didn't get into a technical difference here. Uh, there's what we call general revelation. It's what you call like God generally revealing himself through creation. The Bible is special creation. Hmm. People need to have 
a conscious trust in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Now, how do I know that? Well, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 makes it really clear that just believing in God will not deliver you from sin. That you need to have your trust in Jesus Christ. Now, does it get complicated, Brad? Yes, it sure does. God is a just God. He's a fair God. We are all justly condemned because we are rebels by nature and by choice. So if God did nothing, He would be righteous altogether, it says in Psalm 19, if He did nothing. But it was His love that moved Him. That's why the gospel and bringing the gospel is so Mm. mission critical. It's so important for the church to do this. One of the things I love about Romans too, and any questions that you all have, you should write down because I feel like a lot of Romans answers all these questions, like as you go through the book. Because in Romans 3, doesn't it say like, no one understand, no one seeks God? Amen. None none, None of us are truly seeking God. And it just makes you think like, if someone genuinely is longing and pursuing Christ, he's going to reveal himself to them, right? Right. And we're going to go deeper into this. God wants us to understand how this world is rolling and what he is doing and how he is working. You know, uh, I want to take more text questions, but I think we're out of time. Uh, We have an important Sunday here. Uh, And and please, uh, you can continue to text in your questions. And as we go through the series, I want to make sure we're addressing the questions on your heart.